Welcome to the Print Shop and my second podcast. Today I want to talk on my early days coming to Smithville and a subject that has created some interest as of late, and that is sinkholes in and around the village. The Crothers family came to Smithville in around 1941, and we resided in a home on the top family farm, which is now our leisureplex grounds. This farm was located on then called 20 Road, now it is Regional Road 14. My father was employed as a farm worker on this dairy farm of Mr. Wellington Top, was of, <clears throat> who was of age that he needed, to, needed help to operate the farm. It was a fair distance to walk to public school, which was located where the township offices are now. It is ironic that when I started to put together the second podcast, we get an inquiry about the location of SS number 12 Smithville Public School by Bill, Bill Springstead on October 27th. So this fits in well what I am going to talk about in this podcast. It was a three-room school with two rooms on the ground level and a third room was uh, on the second floor. Grade 1 and 2 were in the room at the back of the school, and grades 3, 4, 5, and 6 were in the front room on the ground floor. Grades 7 and 8 were on the upper floor. Depending on attendance, grade 6 sometimes was moved upstairs. There was a big storage building on the north side of the school, set back from the street, and close to Culver Street. I remember Mr. and Mrs. Frank Hayes, who operated the hardware store on Griffin Street South. They lived in the home adjacent to the schoolyard on Culver Street. I do remember my first teacher as Miss Blair, and later on, in later later grades, I had Bernice Top Pennell. Miss Pearl Branscombe was a principal for a period of time. While I attended school, there was always two entrances at the front of the building, and it was a ritual that the boys entered one and the girls the other. Even then, there was segregation. The washrooms were at the front of the school, and the school was heated by coal or wood stoves for some time. When the school was first built, the washrooms were situated in an outbuilding near the back of the property for a few years. In terms back then, we called them outhouses. After several years at this residence, the Crothers family moved to the Wade Farm, which was not within the village limits. The Wade Road was the dividing line for the village limits. The farm home was located on the banks of the 20 Mile Creek. The farm had parcels of land on both sides of Wade Road. The road at that time was unopened road allowance and was not looked after by the village or the township. My recollection about this laneway and road that in 1944, during the monstrous snowstorm that blocked roads for days, our family had to hand shovel our way from the home to the road and down to Number 20 Highway. It took several days, and when we got to the highway, there the banks were as high as the telephone wires. Professor Robert Wade and his two sisters, Eleanor and Annie, owned the property, and Robert looked after the apple orchard, which was on the east side of the road. Professor Wade was employed at the University of Guelph, and he would come to the farm on weekends to look after the apple orchard. I became good friends with Professor Wade, and I always tried to help him with some of the work in the orchard. 
One job that I found most interesting was when he grafted two varieties of apples on one tree. At the end of the orchard near the creek was a plot of land that was very fertile and Professor Wade allowed me to grow a vegetable garden which was very large and it supplied the family very well. While living on the Wade farm, my father and brother worked on the Patterson farm which was adjacent. I explored all the fields on these farms and to my surprise found a number of sinkholes. As I recall, there were two on the Patterson farm and at least three on the Wade farm. They have all been filled in now. These sinkholes were very deep and they drained the farms to the creek. The sinkholes on the other properties in the village were on the John Souter farm, which was adjacent to the fairgrounds in the early days. Now it is a community park and arena. These sinkholes were also very deep as young adventurous boys. In those days, we and my friends crawled down several of them. You could go a fair distance underground towards the creek. There was at least four or more, and at one time citizens of the village tried to convince council to buy land and add it to the community park. They were never successful, and now it is a housing subdivision. I have one friend, Doug Neckel, who lives in Grimsby, but who grew up in Smithville. He has stories to tell about crawling in the sinkholes on the Souter property. At a later date, I want to interview Doug on a podcast and get his take on the experiences he had exploring these sinkholes. Side with my life when our family moved to the Wade farm, it was more convenient for me to take jobs after school and on weekends. This is something my father and mother promoted and we all pooled our money to support the family. I remember my first job in grade six, a job of cleaning the ashes from the big coal furnace that heated the home of Mr. and Mrs. William Camp, which was located at 153 St. Catherine Street. I did this every other night after school during the winter months. Mr. Camp was postmaster for the village post office from 1931 to 1942. My next job that was most interesting and meaningful was when I joined with my friend Bill Shrum. Charles Shrum had started a milk delivery route through the village and after school during the week, Bill and I would load up a buggy and hitch the horse to deliver the milk cream, chocolate milk, and all sizes of glass milk bottles and other items to the residents. It was a great system, and some homes we collected money each evening and others were weekly. Mabel Shrum, Bill's mother, did the bookwork and kept us informed on what we were doing. The milk was delivered to the Shrum home by Frank Ezard, who had a milk transport truck that picked up cans of milk from the local farms and delivered it to several dairies in Hamilton. On his return home in the afternoon, he would drop off the crates of full milk bottles for the delivery that day. The one dairy that comes to mind is Silverwoods. One incident that comes to mind about Mr. Ezard when he arrived with the milk for delivery, he would always ask Mr. Shum for a beer, and he always wanted a raw egg dropped in the glass with the beer. I never did ask what the purpose of that egg was for. 
The horse was so trained that we never had to tell her to move up or stop at the homes we were serving. But when we had finished the last home, we would go to, she would go to in her, her trot for home. Some homes had milk boxes built into their homes near the back door. My home still has this feature. The life of Charles Shrumman family will be for another podcast. Following this work, I took a job delivering groceries for Clifford and Doris Hodgkins when they operated a grocery store on Griffin Street. This store was first a hardware store operated by Harmon Hodgkins, then a grocery store by son Clifford and daughter-in-law Doris, then back to a hardware store by son Clayton Hodgkins and later handed down to family members Janet and Daryl Joyner. I always remember working at the store with Mrs. Dave Vall and Patrick Lonsbury. I had to buy a bicycle with a front-end carrier, and this was something I had to master because some orders got heavy and I tried not to spill. I did have a few accidents, but I conquered it. During this delivery stint, I also delivered meat orders for Fred Boulder, who had the butcher shop on the east side of Griffin Street. I attended high school and were and was there for grades 9, 10, and part of grade 11. I quit school to go to work full-time at the Smithville Review, which was owned by George Adams, and I will do a separate podcast of my life with Mr. and Mrs. George Adams and working at the printing shop later. I had been working after hours and on weekends for Mr. Adams. I enjoyed high school and took part in athletics and other sports. I was very successful in long distance running, which we called it in those days. Now they call it cross country. I had the opportunity to represent Smithville High at events competing against other schools in Niagara. I started playing softball on teams when in school, and that helped me when I joined the men's softball team in later years. High school days for me was during the war years, and our principal, Mr. Elson, had a program implemented where all the school was involved in a cadet corps, and both the girls and boys were in uniform. We marched up and down the streets in the village on several days a week. That would not be possible now with our traffic. We also had a number in a marching band that accompanied the cadets. I will say this training helped with respect for the person who gave the commands and also for everyone that was older than you. I rose to the rank of corporal in the cadet corps and enjoyed my time. Before starting to work full-time at age 17, Mr. Lloyd Killens opened a bowling alley in 1947 with four lanes above his grocery store on Griffin Street. For the first men's bowling league of some 40 bowlers, Bill Shrum and I won the job of setting up pins. We each had two alleys and we started at 7 p.m. and finished at 11. We did this job for a number of years and then we were asked to join the league and we participated. I eventually got to be a captain of a team. In closing my second podcast, I want to comment on a phone call I received this week from Gene Acton of the West Lincoln Historical Society. They received an inquiry from a person in Hamilton about the polio epidemic that occurred at the turn of the century. They wondered if there was an epidemic in this area at that time. Jean could remember 
One local resident, Basil Lonsberry, who was affected. I can remember Albert Hunter, Carson Johnson, Jack Fisher, and a few others. Now I promised I would try and find out what time period the polio hit this area. This will be another podcast because I have to close now because the shop is getting busy and we have a big order of waybills to deliver to Zavis Brothers Transport in Wayfleet. Thanks for listening and hope to see you next time for Small Town Memories. God bless. Mm-hmm.